kind of how I pick all my alcohol. It's just if it has cool art on it or not. <laughs> Usually works out okay for me. It's a valid way to pick it, yeah. I always judge a book by its cover. Alcohol, books, anything. If it looks pretty, I'm probably going to pick it up. A lot of wines like that, too. They yeah. have, like, cool labels. To be fair, I don't think I've ever had a bad wine. And I usually only pick the ones that look cool, so it works out. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter one, well, no, the prologue <laughs> of Ship of Magic. Dun, dun, dun. A new book, a new series. Yeah. So welcome on in, everybody. Uh, we are Is Fits Happy, which doesn't quite make sense for this trilogy, but we are a podcast that is discussing <laughs> Robin Hobb's Realm of the Elderlings in publication order. So if you've joined in on this episode, we have already been through... Uh, the Farseer Trilogy. Yeah, the Farseer Trilogy. Assassin's Apprentice, Royal Assassin, and Assassin's Quest. And we've gone through chapter by chapter, reading them, discussing them, talking about, you know, spoilers for future books. We've talked about theories, talked about different characters and their motivations, and that is what we're going to do with this trilogy as well. So right. thanks for uh, thanks for listening. We get to dive. It's exciting for us because we spent the past two and a quarter year in a different trilogy. So <laughs> with Fitz, and with you know, Fitz, yeah, that's long enough to spend in Fitz's head. <laughs> I'm glad to get a little bit of a break. And is Fitz happy? Fitz. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get to dive into the world of serpents. Yeah, first, the too. worst. <laughs> I sound much more excited, mostly because we're starting a new series, so I'm, like, very excited to start. But also, we're diving right into the ocean dwellers of the deep. Yes, and uh, it's only two pages for you to suffer through. I know. Honestly, these two pages took me out of the book, and the first time reading it took me a couple months to get past these first two pages. You were definitely not a fan. Nope. Still are not a fan to be fair, of the serpents. To be fair, for this project, reading through was not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I'm ready. I poured myself a little scotch. And we got a candle lit in the room, you know. We're <laughs> really setting the mood for this. Got a mood set for two pages to go. <laughs> so let's dive in. This this uh, prologue is called The Tangle. Yes. And we get introduced to the serpents in the live ship traders here. And Malkin is the first word in the first serpent that we are introduced to. Remember, he is the kind of seer serpent, the one who remembers the past in visions and hazy rememberings. At least he knows when to move to go to like the migration and the breeding grounds and things like that. Right. It's known that he is this way because he has the eye design throughout his body the false eyes yes false eyes and that makes him marked as someone having ancient sight which it is denoted something that i don't think i think of a lot when i think of the serpents is that although we're following malkin and his tangle he is not the only one with ancient sight and there are other tangles that have 
ancient site leaders. One of them is mentioned in this prologue as well. Yes. We'll get there. So the beginning part of this prologue has descriptions of what Malkin is doing and what he is. Right now they are shedding their old skin. They're in warm waters and they have been for a while. There are two dozen other serpents in that tangle. And it's a pretty, in my mind at least, a pretty literal description of what it is. <laughs> They're all just kind of like sitting in a knot. Yes. And he's saying that, uh, at least Robin Hobb is saying, he moved his long, sinuous body through a lazy loop, rubbing against himself to rub off the last scraps of outgrown hide. As the bottom muck started to once more settle, he gazed about at the two dozen other serpents who lay basking in the pleasantly scratchy sediments. And he announces, time, he bugled in his deep-throated voice. The time has come. So, the rest of his group understands this meaning to be the time has come to move, to go migrate to the hatching grounds. Yes. Um, that isn't really talked about in depth in this prologue, but we know that as rereaders. And, you know, that... It seems that the serpents know that that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And as as some history or as some recap, from what I recall now, I have not read these books in a little bit. <laughs> but from what I recall, these serpents have been swimming around for a couple hundred years already. Right. A couple hundred cycles they have missed because there was a huge cataclysm that changed the breeding grounds where they were located. They sunk some, they raised up some others, and they need a specific sort of sand and silt to weave the 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 cocoons right. for them. So that cataclysm that wiped out the elderlings kind of disrupted the whole dragon cycle, life cycle as well. Right, and the capability of them to make the life cycle. Yes. Um, I think it's really interesting that we're starting off with this sense of having a creature that knows the future um, mostly because it's a familiar ground yes it is it, it's very reminiscent of the fool um only a little bit more in depth to what this creature is thinking um it also begs the question of how long have they been here and like in this specific moment and how does he know is it just mm -hmm. because it's been the right amount of sun and moon cycles so instinctively it's like okay well <laughs> from from what i'm gathering it's just kind of an instinctive feel for those those certain chosen serpents who right. have the false eyes it's not even like them counting seasons or anything because some tangles have moved on already and most of them are still in the area you know right. it's it's just kind of a feeling and an instinct per leader of the tangles right and i think that's a really interesting point because I think this series, this trilogy as a whole, is one that focuses a lot on intuition and yeah. kind of luck. I think that's a big theme that flows throughout this series. I mean, I guess the series as a whole, as Realm of the Elderlings, but specifically this trilogy. Yeah, because yeah. we focus on, you know, Kenneth and his luck and, and a lot of things like that. And Amber and her luck in choosing who she chose and right. maybe the 
the unluckiness of not going along with Althea, but the luck that it worked out anyways in her in Amber's favor, you know? Right. There's all these different things. The twists of fate seem to work out. And we had discussions about fate in the last book, but... <laughs> yeah, but this one, it feels a little bit easier to follow, mostly because mm-hmm. it's not just the fate of one person or one person's outcome. Like, we only see what Fitz does and how that affects the world. Whereas in this series, we get to follow, like, seven characters, and they're all interwoven. And so we, like, really get to see the larger world play out of all the choices all these characters make. Yeah. And I guess we didn't really touch on it too much, but before we move on, how did you really feel going from a first-person perspective to immediately the prologue of the first like book of the next trilogy first of all not involving fits which we have never had right all of the prologues epilogues all the chapters in the other trilogy were about fits and from fits's point of view mm-hmm. and this is to a non-human character I and think... and then the chapter 1 is <laughs> i think what split in between two or three points of view two points two of points view. of view so how, how did that jar you Okay, so I think personally, whenever I read books, I don't really gravitate towards books typically that have more than one narrator. I just don't find them as enjoyable usually. Which is so weird to me because (laughs) reading a lot of fantasy, that's kind of the trend now. Yeah. Is to have multiple Multiple points of views. I think whenever I'm reading fantasy, I like to put myself solely in the shoes of one person and live their life. And something that I don't love about multiple characters and like seeing from their point of view is that I don't ever feel like I'm really settling into the shoes of one character. And I guess that's nice because you get a broader view of the story as a whole. But prior to this, I hadn't seen it done well enough to enjoy the process. And it really just took me out of reading of an experience. So I wasn't like excited to read this series when I started it the very first time because I had this idea of like, I'm not really going to get into it. I'm not going to care about any of these characters enough. And then I thought it was done really well. And I ended up actually liking the series a lot. This trilogy of the series. Yeah. So I don't know. What about you? It was fairly normal to me. Fair. (laughs) Because I've read other, you know, fantasy series before. Honestly, I've probably read way more multiple points of view than I have first person point of view. I can only think of maybe three other series off the top of my head that are first person point of view. Wow. The, all the other ones are multiple or they yeah, jump around. Fair. So going into this, it was definitely interesting having serpents or some sort of undersea dweller we didn't really (laughs) know i guess at this point as a point of view character but i was intrigued by it and then moving on to the next chapter having them switch in between those two it was pretty normal so i wasn't really thrown by it it was it was a little bit off-putting because i was in fitz's shoes for so long right and i think i immediately hopped into this book afterwards so Mm, yeah I think after this trilogy, I took a break and then went back to Fitz and I took a break and then like, so yeah, but between the first trilogy and this trilogy, I think I went straight through and I kind of learned my lesson of like, (laughs) Oh, it's a little bit jarring just to switch gears that quickly. 
but it was a fairly natural set it, settling in at least. Yeah, that's fair. I think I think another thing that kind of put me off of this series at first was we go straight into a like you said a creature point of view. It's not even human. And because we had just gotten done with Fitz and staying with Fitz, I think I just assumed that the series would only be about Malkin. And so I was really worried that now I have to be (laughs) like with this weird group of serpents that aren't even human and they have weird, not that I don't enjoy like out there ideas, I guess. It just, the thought of reading the whole book from Malkin's point of view did not thrill me. I don't want. What an interesting thought though. Like how would that, (laughs) I mean, it would just be a lot of swimming, right? (laughs) Right. Like tides. And I, it would be interesting to see if they had, thoughts about like humans and their dwellings and I, I feel like it could go in more depth of like we know these boats or something or like we're attracted to the live right. ship boats in some way but yeah I was like I don't know how she's gonna make this enjoyable so I do not want to read this I I can't remember if I warned you or told you about the multiple points of view so were you kind of thrown off by this not being first person at all yeah, so you didn't warn me. I think I complained to you oh, okay. about, I was like, I don't like the serpents. I don't want to read any more of the serpents. You're like, it's literally two pages. And I'm like, okay, we just got done with a book. <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 there's like multiple points of view. So I, th- <laughs> so I think it was really jarring to go. Yeah, okay. Like not first person right away. Yeah, because it, it is interesting. So we start with that Mulkin, you know, saying you know it's time it's right. the time has come to move on and we immediately switch to it's not in his head at all we immediately switch to the perspective to shriver another serpent here yes who is uh who has great eyes of green and gold and copper all the serpents are and then they're kind of looking at Malkin here and then shriver speaks up and she says why The water is warm here, the feeding easy. In a hundred years, winter has never come. Why must we leave now? I highlighted the in a hundred years because this tangle and the serpents in general are extremely old, way older than they should be. And they have already spent a hundred years here. Yeah. In this particular place, let alone the other places that they have been. Right. It did make me wonder... How do they know what years are, first of all? <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Second of all, like, is this accurate or is this like, it feels like we've been a here a hundred years. Right. And so that like also is really throwing me off. I do know. I, I don't know the exact figures. I feel like we learn it at some point, maybe talking about or talking to Icefire in one of them. Right. But I know he spent a lot of time by himself searching for right. other dragons and i feel like he measured that in like serpent cycles or something i don't know yeah so i feel like they've been here for at least a couple hundred years right no definitely and it is really interesting because we know that dragons don't really view time the way humans do which is noticeable in the next traitor trilogy so two from this series. The Rainwild Chronicles. Yes, the Rainwild Chronicles, where they have 
children, I guess even the final trilogy, where they have children who are suffering from birth defects because the dragons aren't there to keep up with the growth of a human growth cycle. And the dragons are very nonchalant about it and kind of don't care because it's not that much time to them, but it's decades in human time. And that's too long to be gone from humans. So it's really interesting to see them say something like it's been a hundred years because I wonder if that means like their version of a hundred years or a hundred human years. Yeah. But it seems like Shriver is not the only one who is reticent to believe that it is time. Mm -hmm. Um, Shriver is kind of talking for the group at this moment. And Malkin performs another lazy twining of himself and flashes what we were talking about before, his false eyes, proclaiming him as one who kind of sees the future a little bit, in their words, with ancient sight. Malkin could recall things, things from the time before all this time. His perceptions were not clear, nor always consistent. Like many of those caught twixt times, with knowledge of both lives, he was often unfocused and incoherent. So I was thinking about the ancient site and how Malkin is a male serpent. Yes. But it seems as though for dragons, when they get out of the serpent cycle, the female is the lead. It's more of a matriarchal society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think it's really interesting that here in the serpents, when they're children, more or less, they have the opposite where the men, I guess, I don't know if this is just like luck of the draw who gets the ancient memories, quote unquote. I feel like it is in in my mind. I mean, we right. don't have evidence for that. To be fair, the the goddess of the the other island is a serpent that has the eyes that is marked as an ancient oh memory. And I yeah. believe that's a, a, a female because it is called a goddess. So yeah, the, I guess maybe it is the just serpent random. that went trophies eventually. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I do. I guess I was thinking it's a little strange, but I don't know. Maybe it is just random. But how how does only one in a group get, you know, like how? I feel I feel like the groups are formed after, you know, they they, right. they surround themselves by one person who has it. There's a select few who have that site and then people choose to follow that person who has that site. So it's not like one person out of every group is chosen. It's some people are chosen, then groups are formed after. Fair. (laughs) I guess that's a better way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it seems as though Malkin may be one of the more flighty (laughs) of those that are chosen. At least compared to someone else that we, that is mentioned in here. Yes. We also get mention of Serpent's toxin. He shook his mane until his paralyzing poison made a pale cloud about his face. He gulped his own toxin in, breathed it out through his lungs in a show of truth vow. What an interesting sentence. Yes. In the first page of a new trilogy. He shook his mane. We don't know who these people are yet or these things are. Right. So he has a great maned head, as described before. So he shakes his mane and toxins come out. Mm-hmm. He gulps it in. 
and it's a show of truth vow. And we learn later that these are kind of like drugs almost. Right. Or at least stimulants of some sort to other serpents. And they use it to, you know, fight each other or displays of strength or whatever it is. But the ones who have the ancient sight seem to also use it as like ayahuasca or like some hallucinogenic, <laughs> like, I'll show you the way, you right. know, <laughs> kind of, I, <laughs> I have the power. <laughs> So I thought that was really interesting as like a first page, a first page description. There's a lot of tropes about fantasy series like, you know, your intro is filled with words that have apostrophes and (laughs) things that you don't know what they're talking about. And I thought that was like words we all know, but it's hard to grasp what it's talking about unless you're rereading. Right. Yeah, it is a lot of it feels like jargon being used and it's hard to understand what means what right now. I think, you know, to go back to why I didn't like it to begin with, I think that was part of it. It just felt so like non comforting because it's so much at once of oddness. Whereas yeah. the fifth series, yes, there are words and phrases and ideas put forth that aren't necessarily things that we have in real world. But they're kind of eased in more, I feel. Definitely. I Whereas, mean, you're introduced into a world in, in Assassin's Apprentice where it's a young boy who is dropped off, doesn't know what's going on. And it's literally just about his abandonment, his loneliness. Right. And his dog companion eventually. And right. his guardian. Yeah. And then you learn like, oh, there's a wit. Like, what is that? Oh, it's the bond that he's feeling. <laughs> exactly. And here we have a lot of new, a lot of weird. Mm-hmm. And as we go on, it becomes this thing that you kind of understand. And it, I think, marks a clear, distinct difference between serpent and human. And I think it's done really well. I think it just can be intimidating to readers, <laughs> especially going straight from the Fitz trilogies. For sure. But the truth has been told. Truth vow given. (laughs) It is time now, he urged. He speeds suddenly away from them, shooting up to the surface, rising straighter and faster than the bubbles. Far above them, all he broke the ceiling and leaped out briefly into the great lack before he dove again. He swam about them in frantic circles, wordless in his urgency. And she responds to this kind of frenetic energy, saying, Some of the other tangles have already gone. Not all of them, not even most, but enough to notice they are missing when we rise into the lack to sing. Perhaps it is time. Uh, How do you pronounce this next serpent? Caesarea? Sure. (laughs) I... Go, and then read the next words. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Caesarea settled deeper into the muck. And perhaps it is not, he said lazily. I think we should wait until until Auburn's tangle goes. Auburn is steadier than Malkin. And that's the other, we're assuming, ancient-sighted tangle leader. Right who is apparently steadier than Malkin and not as, as you described him, flighty. Right. Which is really interesting. It's fun to see that these creatures do have very distinct personalities. I think 
it's interesting because we know they become dragons and we as rereaders know kind of how dragons act. So to think of full grown dragons and see how serpents act, you can kind of see similarities between the two. Specifically, these serpents become the dragons that we know in the Rain and Wild Chronicles. Yes. I believe Malkin becomes Murkor. I think Shriver is Shibi, who is... Not Shibi. I think so. Oh, no. <laughs> I, who is uh, Rapskulls. Yeah, the like, no, kind of No, no, I think Rapskulls is bronze. I don't know. Shriver is red. And I'm not sure if... I'm not sure who's... Like what Shiver grows into or if Shiver shows up. But I know Malkin is Murkor. Okay. That's the only one I know for sure. I thought in my head it made sense, but maybe it's just because of the SH. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, Shriver to Caesarea saying like maybe Auburn's is better. Shriver's like, well, you can just go join his tangle then because... I don't doubt Malkin's words and I'll follow him north. And he kind of, and she kind of, you know, rubs off the rest of her molting skin as well, reveals a bright red instead of the dark, dull maroon and joins him yes. in the circling around of the tangle. It is also mentioned that she gulps down the flaking skin, yes, which is the yeah. first time we see the skin being eaten. Maybe Malkin ate his skin, but it isn't described yes. as happening and so this is the first hint we get of how dragons work how there is this idea that the flesh is sacred and it holds memory and so mm -hmm. it's important to hold on to that by consuming it yes a lot like the stone dragon before in the last series and a lot like when the serpents are cocooned up and they you know, break free from their cocoons grown to dragons, they eat their rest of their cocoons. Right. To save those memories from the dragons that made those cocoons, the saliva. Yes. So Shriver joins that frenetic dance and says, I come, Malkin, I follow you. She moved up to join their still circling leader in his twining dance overhead. One at a time, the other great serpents heaved their long bodies, free of clinging muck and outgrown skin. All, even Caesarea, rose from the depths to circle in the warm water just below the ceiling of the plenty, joining in the tangles dance. They would go north, back to the waters from whence they had come, in the long-ago time that so few now remembered." So a quick uh, vocab update. The lack is the air. Yes. The plenty is the water. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if this means that serpents cannot breathe air. I don't think they can. Which is really, I mean, I guess like tadpole to frog, you know? Right. Yeah. Very interesting. I also wanted to point out that it says that they're going to go north. We know that by the end of this trilogy, they are in Bingtown or near Bingtown. Pirate where, Isles. Yes. And, yeah. To start their cocooning process. So if that is north from where they are, do you think that means that right now where they're at is near where the white ones currently are? Yes, I think so. I think they are. I mean, that's even further south than south of Jamalia. Yeah. So I don't think they're as far down as that, 
because I feel like they would be dead. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Why do you say that? Because the the whites are trying to destroy all of the dragons. Right, but there's no way for them to become dragons at this point, so potentially the whites would leave them alone. That's fair. That's a fair assumption. But still, I you know, fair. I in my head it just makes sense that they're not as far as that island. <laughs> okay. Because it's always described in the last trilogy that Claris is south beyond any maps right. that they can find. So I feel like yes, they are south. They're south of Jamalia even in the warm water where like it doesn't ever become winter. Yeah. So Maybe equatorial, near, you know. Yeah. Maybe near where uh the fool is from. Beloved. Yeah. Possibly. Beloved's hometown. <laughs> yeah. So they they're heading up, you know, up north towards Jamalia at the moment and then eventually further north to the Pirate Isles. Yes. And the slavers. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say there they have mentioned already that some serpents have left where they are. Um, it's really unclear how many serpents there are total ever at any given time. Right. We don't know. Um, at least more than two dozen because there is more than one group and at least two groups isn't enough to make a big difference. It seems like groups, we can assume that groups are normally around the size of two dozen. Right. So yeah. that's a ton of baby dragons that are just very, lost. Yeah. And not very many of them make it. It really makes me wonder, you know, how many even get to the grounds where they are? Are there still serpents circling around that didn't make it this time? I think so. I, I don't know. It's just crazy to think about. And then I also was thinking they've come to this warm place. They've been here for uh, at least 100 years by their counting of years, whatever that means. And it made me think about the fact that maybe they're drawn to the heat because part of them knows that that is how they need to grow as a dragon. Yeah. Because it was just comforting, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're I guess also who wants to be in the cold? <laughs> reptilian ish. Right. So I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting that we see a little bit of likeness to dragon peeking through here and there. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing um, that we haven't talked about quite yet is the sing, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, which is mentioned. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be some sort of ritual where all of the serpents. Just kind of like trumpet to yeah. one another. <laughs> trumpet yeah. up into the lack. Um, and I feel like we get some excerpt later where they do a sing and it feels as though they're kind of almost trance-like when they do it, right? Yeah, I, I seem to remember that as well. Yeah, it feels like it's just part of their nature where they need to sing every once in a while out of the air. It's kind of like a traditional communication kind of thing. Right, and I wonder if part of that used to be to like call to their mothers, kind of like baby chicks, you know, call out to their mom when they're hungry. Not that I think that a dragon would necessarily feed a serpent. Right. But, but like it would. Yeah, because they would be, you know, capable of finding their own food. Right. Presumably. <laughs> but to announce where they are to like yeah. be guided. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So very interesting things. I also think it's really interesting to have another character where they can kind of see the past slash future. 
And that is a role that previously the fool had been playing for us. I guess fool was more future slash maybe past. <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool to see this new dynamic. 100%. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the epilogue. Emma, do you have any other notes that you've written down about it? I don't think so. I think most of my questions for this were just, how do they know? <laughs> yeah. Why or how? <laughs> That's what I ask in these two pages a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have anything to say about the serpents, if you know more about their history or how long they have been there, or any theories about them at all, or just thoughts in general about live ship traders, please let us know. It is fitshappy at gmail.com. I see a look on your face right now, Emma. What do you have to say? <laughs> I was just wondering, do you think there is a tie between the white ones and dragons in similar ancestors? Mm, we don't know anything about the whites at all. Right. Besides that they knew that they were dying. They were a prescient race and they bred with regular humans to hopefully have their genes come across one another in the future. So what we have at Claris is kind of a bastardization right. of what they once were. So I really don't know. I was just thinking about how they're, I mean, kind of similar ish in some, right. They're both know, but not human. They're distinctly other. And they both seem to have some greater knowledge of how the world works and the turning of the world. Although one is more past heavy and the other is future heavy. Yeah. So opposites in some sort of way. Yeah. So I just thought it was really interesting. I think there's a lot of characteristics that I personally am going to be looking out for to see if we can maybe see like maybe the the original white was an other <laughs> Possibly, but I feel like, I mean, the others are on other island are dragons that have been have become too human, right? I thought they were serpents that were born of dragons who became too human. Okay, yeah. I mean, they they're still like walking around. They have right. like legs and stuff. But yeah, it's it's some sort of like they became too human, so that wouldn't be around whites at all. I don't know. It's hard to say because we don't get anything of the history. This is another yeah. thing like similar we'll to love. skill and wit. Yes. And I don't know. It's hard, hard to say. Yeah. I don't know. Just a thought I had. Just something I'm going to be looking out for going forward. <laughs> if you guys have any thoughts about that, please email us. <laughs> isfitshappy at gmail.com. Or you can reach out at any of our social medias at isfitshappy. We're at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can DM us or comment directly to us on our posts, anything like that. And we'll, we'll try to reach out and respond. We appreciate all of you messaging in and we look forward to discussing this trilogy with you guys. Yeah. A new one. Exciting. Okay. So Surprise, we, <laughs> we have some listener comments to talk about. Um, this time is going to be a little bit weird because we're transitioning from the old into the new. So obviously we don't have any listener comments about the tra live ship trader series yet. Um, 
but and probably for the next couple weeks we do try to record these in advance it doesn't always work out yeah, but not to take away the magic <laughs> but <laughs> these are in advance <laughs> So some of the comments we're talking about today are going to be more focused on um, the last couple episodes, yes. like 107. Yes, the last trilogy as a whole, really. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to clear uh, clean some of that stuff up as we transition into this new book. And then as we get the questions in for this series, we will bring those in. Um, but while we still have some that are about fits, we'll probably do that for the next couple episodes. So without further ado, uh, first, we're going to talk a little bit about the reaction that a lot of our listeners had to a question that I asked for episode 107 about how you guys would handle the revenge, what revenge you would have taken on Regal Regal if you were in Fitz's shoes. And I'm not really going to name names because there were a lot of really good answers and I I think it would take way too long to go through all of them individually. But it was really interesting to see kind of the wide array of, I think that revenge is horrible and I would have done way worse. (laughs) So it's really interesting to see just the large change and uh, of opinion yeah. between people of some people who don't think Fitz went far enough and some people who kind of think Fitz may have went too far by getting revenge at all and I just thought that was really interesting I was not expecting such a stark difference and there was a couple people who thought like this was a perfect revenge just make him switch his allegiances basically right but then there was also like why didn't he get a royal pardon you yes. know why didn't, he, <laughs> why didn't he say like hey Regal, make sure to mention to Ketrickin that that Fitz, Fitz is, is all right. innocent and yeah. <laughs> you take it back. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I agree that that response was very funny. It made me laugh. Of you know what? I didn't even think about that. He didn't. He did talk about how he stopped himself from making Regal erect a statue in his honor, but he could have still given himself a pardon. Yeah, I just thinking a little bit more about that. He kind of stopped himself because what he had Regal do, while unbelievable to us, was believable to the people that he was ruling because he had a dream. Like, the real people are returning. You know, he fought alongside his common folk. They believed him. And all of a sudden, he tells his common folk, like, the person I've been demonizing for the past two years did not do what I said. Right. Would they follow him at all? So maybe, maybe fits thought it through i don't know <laughs> i don't know i feel like regal's weaselly enough to have yeah, wormed his uh, way out of definitely it definitely true i'm just trying to make excuses <laughs> i wish he would have given himself a pardon too but it was really fun to get to see yeah. all the different responses and um some of the harsher <laughs> punishments yeah, definitely like way more like physical punishments for regal to the revenge is wrong but it was okay that this had yes. <laughs> this happened to him, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It was very fun. So thank you guys for responding so readily to that. It mm-hmm. was very fun. We also had a. Uh, I mean, this is going a little bit further back in the series, <laughs> but we had a really interesting email from Jonas talking about the two brothers chivalry and verity how they really complemented one another because chivalry was a very subtle adept skilled i guess manipulator but like social politician politician (laughs) and his skilling was like a bull and very blunt and just a blunt force while 
Verity, on the other hand, is a very blunt soldier yes. who, you know, just wanted to fight things and not really rule or anything like that. Just doesn't wanted really, to be the second man. Yeah, you know? doesn't really have a delicate touch. Yeah, and he had the very subtle and delicate skilling. Yes. So they complemented each other in magic and in real life, and they were a perfect pair working together, and that's probably also why... Verity really felt out of place when chivalry abdicated and then died. So yeah. it was a, I mean, it's yeah, going back a ways in the trilogy, but I thought it was a very interesting point because it does fill out Verity's character a little bit more, which yeah. we talked about a lot in the last few chapters. So yeah, it definitely was an interesting thought process to think about. So thank you, Jonas. And finally to wrap up this round of questions and thoughts. Um, we got a really interesting comment on Instagram from Hamagurumi. <laughs> Sorry if that is a horrible pronunciation. <laughs> we just kind of roll with things here. Uh, they posted a really interesting thought process about Fitz's pain with having switched places with Verity. And I thought it was a really interesting conversation that I wanted to bring forward, and so did Luke, where they said, kind of in defense of Verity, that... Because, like, just as a context... Yes. I mean, particularly Emma, I'll say yes. that, I'll point it out, <laughs> could, yeah. was very upset at Verity for... And, and felt like his character was a little bit tarnished mm -hmm. in that chapter just because he went ahead seemingly knowing that Fitz didn't know what was going on. Right. there, It didn't feel like consent. Right. So Hamagurumi comments here. Yes. And they said that this is kind of a tale of why informed consent is important because there was consent from Fitz to swap you know, bodies to, to, for Verity to go ahead. Right. And Verity right. took that as like consent, but it was not informed on Fitz's part because Fitz had no idea what was going to happen. Right. He was just okay with it until it actually happened. Right. And so Verity didn't really explain anything and he didn't try to go into the details that Fitz might have been uncomfortable with. He just vaguely asked consent and kind and, of assumed. Yeah. And, since Fitz affirmed and said yes, it was to him consent, which is still morally gray. They don't say that this is like fine or that right, it was a good yeah, thing, yeah. but it does it does lead to a more interesting portrayal. It is much more human and the morally gray aspect is very real. And I think it is a really good example of why informed consent is important yes. that it's not enough to just say yes you have to know what you're saying yes to and the person asking should know that <laughs> and the same person actually brought up a different point as a as a final final thing yes talking and this is a little bit of change of subject <laughs> sorry <laughs> for the abrupt change but after that when will is getting attacked by the stone dragon and we were discussing him losing a leg instead of dissolving and losing his life force we yes. kind of mentioned that yeah, he's skilled. Maybe that's why blah, 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 blah. He didn't get absorbed. Uh, Hamagurumi goes into a little bit more saying maybe because he was so strongly skilled, maybe he could fight back against that that loss right. of life, that loss of memory. If you're trained in the skill, like I, I'm extrapolating a little bit more from that comment. So this isn't exactly what they said. Right. But if you're trained in the skill, 
you are able to walk along the skill road and not lose your memories, your yeah. your mind along there. And I feel like it's somewhat similar in that you have more of a knowledge of who you are. You're able to gather yourself and say, like, this is me. I'm not going to dissolve and disappear into this dragon. Right. Well, I mean, we see that Verity has kept Fitz separate from himself enough so that Fitz isn't accidentally put into the dragon. Yeah. So and, th there must be some defensive measures that a skilled one can take. Right. Which is what Hammer Groomy was kind of pointing out. Yeah, which is a really, uh, really good point and really interesting. A little bit more in depth than our little brush aside of, oh, well, he's skilled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely good thoughts. So thank you to everyone who sent in questions or thoughts or answered our question for the chapter um, or any chapter. <laughs> it's always really good to hear what you guys have to say. So see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>